Good morning. Welcome. We're glad to have you here today to worship um, together um, um, our Lord and Savior, uh, together as a church body. If you're a guest with us, or maybe you have a prayer request that you would like uh, we as elders to be praying for, or maybe you just need to update your contact information, um, please grab one of the Connect cards. It's located on the back um, table where the Bibles are on your way out. You can fill that out, uh, drop it in the little black box, um, like close to that table, um, and we can be able to have a record of those things and be able to be praying for you um, in this time. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And as you do, I want to ask another question. I'm always asking questions and thinking to have you ask questions. This one would be, how would you define a fool? How would you define a fool? They seem like an odd question, I know, to start off a, a Sunday morning sermon. Please, not, please don't try to define it by pointing fingers or by naming names. Uh, you know, what does it say? One point one finger at somebody else, you're pointing three back at yourself. Um, but seriously, how would you define a fool? Officially, it's a person who acts unwisely or imprudently, a silly person. Now, it's not silly ha-ha, it's more like silly bless their heart. We understand what that means. Now, now being a fool doesn't mean that the person's not smart intellectually. It just means that they're not wise. They can be foolish on a repeated basis, which means that a foolish person can also be what? They can be a dangerous person, can't they? A dangerous person to themselves and a dangerous person to, to others. They're the ones that your parents didn't or don't want you to get in a car with. They don't want you to get in a car with a foolish person. They're the ones who your parents didn't or don't want you dating. They're the ones that none of us want handling our money, right? We don't want a foolish banker, a foolish accountant. We want someone who's wise. But they're also someone who you don't want foolishly coming before God. And that asks another question, why? Why do we not want a foolish person foolishly coming before God? I think the answer is simple, because they don't do so wisely. They do so flippantly. They do so dangerously, whether they realize it or not. Which, again, puts them and everyone around them in danger. And the question each of us need to consider today, when it comes to this, is, is are we the wise or are we the fool when it comes to how we approach God? Even in how we gather together in a Sunday morning such as this, are we doing so wisely or are we doing so foolishly? And to help us answer this question, let's pick up this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. 
Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So our passage today starts with a warning. It's a warning to to guard your steps when you go to the house of God. The house of God here most likely referring to, to the temple. But in any case, it is most definitely, most certainly referring to, to going to worship. So we can understand it as guard your steps when you go before God in, in worship. And while we no longer need to go to a temple to, to, to be with God's people or to go to a temple or a specific place in order to worship, I mean, we don't have to go to a specific place, do we? I mean, we're meeting in a giant tin building. We don't have to have some ornate building full of decor. But then needless to say, whether it's a temple or whether it's a nice built structured church or whether it's a giant tin aluminum building, whatever this is, we're still a gathering people. We're a people who gather. God's people, united in Christ, gathering together to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And what the Lord teaches us through our text today is that we must guard our steps when we do. This isn't something that we're to to do flippantly. It's not something that we're to do passively or as a mere formality where we're just kind of going through the motions. This is something we're to do reverently with intentionality. Not just when we feel like it, but how God instructs. And when we don't, we're dishonoring God. We're not pleasing him through our worship as he's designed. And at the same time, what are we revealing about ourselves? We're revealing ourselves to be fools, foolishly coming before God. And so our question there is, how how do we keep from being a fool before God In our worship? How do we guard our steps when we come before the Lord? Well, we understand number one, the fool refuses to draw near to God and listen. And why is listening so important? Think about it for a moment. Because listening is essential to what? To understanding. If we're going to understand, We have to be willing to listen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, God teaching his people the greatest commandment. And he says what at the very beginning of it? Many of you have it memorized. He says, hear, O Israel. So before he says anything else, before he gives any instruction, he says, hear. He says, listen. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is 
one. He's, he's identifying who they're coming before to worship. He's identifying who's giving them the instructions. And he's telling them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And then he tells them that these words are to be where? On their hearts. And they're to teach them diligently to their children and talk about them regularly in their home and their daily lives and to memorize them and to live by them. But what comes before the ability to teach and to talk about these things? Hearing. Listening. Fail to listen to God and, and nothing else God instructs can happen. Why? Because we won't know what to do. We won't know what to do or how we're to do it. How he expects us to do it. Such is the life and the worship of fools. Fools refusing to, to listen to God. They go at it on their own. They come with what they think is best. And then they offer what as a result? Foolish sacrifices, foolish worship, foolish offerings. See, the contextual background of this book tells us the people of Israel were in large part, as we look throughout the, the Old Testament, simply going through the motions of worship. Just kind of going through the motions. It was it become a, a formality of life. Another box checked off the list. I've done that, got it out of the way, I've moved on. Instead of bringing their best before God, as he instructed, they brought their leftovers. Instead of giving of their first fruits, they gave what they comfortably could, could spare. Sure, they showed up at the temple, but they weren't coming to meet with God on God's terms. They were coming to meet with God on their terms, in the area where they felt comfortable. Same foolish worship still happening today. And does God honor such half-hearted worship, giving him our, our leftovers? I think we know the answer to that question, don't we? We don't want to admit it, but the answer is no. God does not honor half-hearted worship. What does he do instead? Well, Malachi tells us he curses such half-hearted worship. See, friends, there's a reason that we're told to guard our steps when we come before God. Because what we're doing is, is serious business. And it's serious because of who we're coming before. Which is why the first thing that we're told to do is to listen. I mean, parents, think about this. When you have something serious to, to tell your, your child or your children, what do you tell them? What do you start by saying? Listen. I don't know how many times I've used that word as a parent. And what do we expect from our children when we tell them to listen? We want for them to hear what we're saying and then do what we've told them to do, right? That's what we expect, to listen and obey. But they can't obey if they don't do what? If they don't listen. So you want to know what God expects of us, how he wants us to live? Want to know how we're to, to, to think rightly, think biblically in a, in a 
way that is going to honor and please God in a world such as this, it requires that we do what? That we draw near and listen. Because it's the fool who doesn't. It's the fool who comes passively before God. It's the fool who offers up and does what he or she just thinks is is best when they feel comfortable doing it. And the way of the fool, the Bible tells us, is the way of destruction. So then again, the question then is, okay, how do we then do this? How do we listen? Maybe you come just genuinely like, I don't know what you mean by, by listening. Well, let's ask that question. Let's explore that. How do we draw near to listen to God? It's very simple. We come expecting to hear from God through his word. He has spoken to us through his word. We want to hear from God. We come to his word and we listen to the word of God. These are God's words to us. And when we gather in a setting such as this, everything that we're doing, every song that we sing, everything that is we, we do is built upon the instructions of God's word. And we're drawing near to listen to it. So we don't come as spectators, but as worshiping learners when we come together, which requires us to, to bring our Bibles, requires us to follow along and engage with the text, eager to listen. See, my responsibility as a preacher is to read the text to do my very best to explain the text and to to begin to help you apply the text. To make every effort possible to make the point of the passage, the point of the sermon. And then it's your responsibility as the learner, as a worshiping learner, to read along in the text, engage with the text, and engage with my exposition of the text and, and seek then to apply the text. But then let's say that while engaging, something is said that you don't understand or something you read and you don't understand. Jot it down. Jot it down, ask a question later. Something said then maybe you don't agree with. That happens from time to time. Now the first thing we need to ask there when something comes up that you don't agree with is ask, why don't I agree with this? <laughs> Like, what is the reason that is there that you don't agree with this? I mean, let's work through that together. I mean, let's just be honest. Maybe I got it wrong. That could happen. I don't want it to happen, but it, it could happen. God's word is infallible. I am not. Or maybe, maybe you've heard me wrong. Maybe you've said something, thought I've said one thing, but I've actually said another or maybe, let's just say, it's a difficult truth that you're struggling, struggling to, to accept. That happens as well. It's challenging to be confronted with God's word. Things that we may have not been taught and not wrestled through, and we're having to think through them for the very first time. Either way, and whatever the reason, ask questions. <laughs> ask lots and lots of questions. It's how we learn. <laughs> I mean, that's why you hear me asking questions when I preach is because I'm coming to the text with questions all the time. It's how we gain clarity. It's how we overcome confusion. We don't assume. The fool assumes. 
We don't assume. But again, want to draw near to God to listen? Bring your Bible with you to worship and follow along. I prefer the hard copy. You may prefer a device. We can talk about wisdom there and all those things. I like just holding it in my hands and reading and seeing it there. But either way, follow along and engage with the text. Come expecting to listen to God from his word. This isn't a TED talk. (laughs) Additionally, I encourage you to prepare your heart to listen each Sunday before coming together. By reading and meditating upon the text prior to this Sunday gathering. That way Sunday morning isn't your first exposure to the text. Not the first time you've begun to wrestle through it. But Jeremy, how do we know what you're going to be preaching next? Well, one, it's posted every week in our midweek newsletter. If you're not getting that, you can fill out a connect card. We can get you on that newsletter. And you can be able to see that every single week. Two, I post it every Sunday, every Saturday on my, my Facebook and on Instagram uh, because by then the exact text is solidly confirmed. I know an idea going into the week of what I'm preaching, but like this week we had to narrow it down to seven verses. Told Nicole originally it was going to go through chapter six. We narrowed it down to seven. She's very thankful because she writes out the text beforehand. <laughs> Much easier to write out seven verses than two chapters. But three, if you can't find any of those, I preach through the books of the Bible in their entirety. So 95 or 98% of the time, however it is, we're preaching whatever's coming next in the text. And so you're like, but what if I read too far? It's good for you. All right? (laughs) Just keep on reading. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you're going to find what we had there, and we'll get to it the week after that. Just read whatever comes next. But come to the sermon having already engaged the text and already asking questions. And then you can be like, oh, that's the question I had. Oh, that's what it is. And we can work through this together. But now, number two, the fool speaks hastily or rashly and hastily which is speaking without careful consideration, speaking hurriedly and without thought as to what they're saying and who they're, not, who they're saying it to. Anyone ever guilty of speaking rashly or hastily? A reminder, we, we've all been foolish with our words at one time or another. But there's a difference in being foolish and being a fool. This text reminding us to think carefully before we speak to God. Which is why the preacher, referring to the prayers we offer in worship, tells us in verse 2, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. He's telling us to slow down, to think, to process. He's telling us to consider our words carefully when we come before him in prayer. And at the same time, remember who we're praying to. Remember who we're talking to. This isn't a guy across the street or a friend at school. This is God. This is God that we're coming before in prayer, whether it's a prayer in our private life, in our closet, or if this is a prayer publicly as we gather, we're coming before God. The preacher then reminding us of some much-needed perspective at the end of verse 2. That God is in heaven, 
and you, we are on earth. That reminder, that needed reminder that he is the creator and we are the creation. He is holy, holy, holy. And we are sinners in the hands of the holy, holy, holy God. In other words, know your role. Don't be a babbling fool in the presence of a king. Come with reverence. Come with intentionality. Come with thoughtful prayers that align with the heart and the will of God. But come. Come. Come before the king. Come before God with your prayers. An invitation, a privilege we must not take lightly that we can come before our king with our prayers. <laughs> like, think about that. We can come before the creator of the universe with our prayers. Hebrews reminding us that we are invited through Christ to draw near. And how are we to draw near? With confidence we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ, our great high priest, making it possible for us to come before the Father with our prayers. Jesus hearing our prayers and faithfully mediating on our behalf. Oh, church, what a privilege that we have. Oh, what grace has been extended to us through Christ. <laughs> but because God is in heaven and we are on earth, he says at the end of verse 2, therefore let your words be few. But he's not saying no words. He's saying few words. Let the words you, you pray be thoughtful words. Thoughtful words. Jesus teaching his disciples this very thing in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, go ahead and turn with me there. Matthew chapter 6. Very first book of the New Testament where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. See, even they had to learn how to pray. And he tells them in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6, and when you pray. So again, the expectation is that they will be a people of prayer. They are to pray. That they will bring their requests before God. That is the expectation. But when they do, this is how they're, this is how we are to do it. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Verse 7. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Which someone may ask then, say, well, then why pray if he already knows what we're going to ask? Like, why would we do that? Like, if he already knows what we're going to ask, then why do we pray? Because he tells us to. It means he tells, we listen, and we then obey. True listening leading then to obedience. And in our obedience, we pray, but we don't babble. We're not rash or hasty with our words. We're not offering up empty phrases or looking to impress others with our prayers. 
We humbly come before God who is in heaven and pray as he would have us to pray. Patrick walking us through the Lord's Prayer earlier. The Lord's Prayer not being a prayer we simply pray by, by rote, but as a guide, acknowledging and giving praise to, to him who we're speaking to. This is God that we're coming before in prayer. It's him who we're praising. And we're praying for his will, not ours to be done, but his will to be done. In any request that we bring before him. Asking him to provide for, for our needs. Needs being the operative word there, the key word. Not all of our wants, but our, our needs. Realizing sometimes manna is enough. Asking him to forgive us of our sins. Knowing he is faithful and just to do so because of Christ. So take time then to give praise to him for Christ and the forgiveness that we have. Pray for him to give us the strength to forgive others. And to avoid sinful temptations. Oh, may holiness be our aim. Why pray these things? Because this is God's will for our lives. These are not foolish prayers. These are prayers that, are, that help align our heart and mind and heart with God's mind and heart. Ever find yourself not knowing the words to pray? Not knowing how to pray? Just open up God's word and, and pray through it. Pray through God's word. Let God's word guide you in your prayers. Number three, the fool makes vows to God he won't keep preacher telling us in verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So first, a fool is one who, who doesn't listen to God. Second, a fool is one who speaks with many words before God. Many unthought through words before God. And third, a fool is one who makes promises to God that they won't keep. And such a person, we're told, God has no pleasure in. Which tells us what? It tells us if we make a vow to God, we better keep the vow. Consider the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here Hannah is, uh, is unable to have children, but she desperately wants children. She's a mother, she's a, a woman who, who's longing to be a mother, but is going through the painful cries of infertility. Verse 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 1 being such a cry, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So what she do? She makes a vow before the Lord. If he will give her a son, then she will give him to the Lord to live the rest of his life as a Nazarite. And for those of you who are familiar with this story, what did God do? He answered her prayer. 
And then what did she do in response? Verse 24 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And when she had weaned him, she brought him to the house of the Lord. And then in verse 27, she said unto the Lord, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. So she made a vow. The Lord answered her prayer. And she kept her vow. As costly as it was, she kept her vow. But how many people today make vows to the Lord and never keep them? Saying things like, oh, Lord, if you will just do fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. Maybe it's prayers that are offered in a time of desperation, a time of much grief, uncertainty. Such vows made in rash and hasty prayers. Rash and hasty prayers that God in his abundant kindness may even answer as we desire. But then those vows aren't kept. Far too many foolishly thinking that it's no big deal. Like really, I mean, God will overlook that. Of all the things he's got going on in the world, is he really concerned about my, my not keeping my vow, not keeping my promise? It doesn't really matter. Maybe these are things that you have done and thought. But the preacher is very clear in verse 5 of our text today. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Meaning it is a foolish person who thinks lying to God is not a big deal. Which is why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 during his Sermon on the Mount. Looking at verses 33, verse 33 of Matthew chapter 5. If you're already in Matthew chapter 6, if you stayed there, just flip back one to Matthew chapter 5 verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, this is Jesus saying, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So yes, I will, or no, I won't. Don't make vows you won't keep. Don't make vows to God that you won't keep. Verse 6 in Ecclesiastes, let not, 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 let, let not your mouth lead you into sin. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. In other words, there's no place for a my bad with God. There's no place that I'm sorry, oops, just didn't work out. No, we, we do well to guard our steps when we come before God by letting our yes be yes and our no be no. And then lastly, the fool doesn't fear God. Verse 7 telling us, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. The first part of this verse appearing to be another proverb. 
the word of wisdom encouraging us to speak thoughtfully and listen more so that our words don't lead us to sin, to make vows that we won't keep. And then the preacher concludes by reminding us God is the one you must fear. That only a fool would walk into the throne room of a king with many words and not listen. Rather, speak thoughtfully and reverently and listen more. Fear God. As Proverbs 1, 7 teaches us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, of course, the needed question here is, what does it mean to fear God? The answer to this important question, not only applying to, to this particular text, but to the foundation of this entire book, to the foundation of the Bible. That's chapter 12, verse 13, that we've already looked at multiple times already of Ecclesiastes, tells us the end of the matter. All has been heard, all has been considered. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And church, if this is the whole duty of man, that we are to fear God and to keep his commandments, then it's vitally important that we understand what it means to fear God. Because we can easily hear this, I know that I can, easily hear this and not hear it as the Lord intends, depending on the presuppositions that we may bring to the table. And so to bring clarity to what's meant by, by fearing God, I want to look at two different types of fear. Servile fear and filial fear. Martin Luther, having spent a great deal of time wrestling with this very question, makes this important distinction. The word servile here referring to a, a posture of servitude to another. So servile fear then is the kind of fear that a slave or a servant or a prisoner would have of an abuser or a tormentor. We may think of it as the, that of an abusive boss or an abusive spouse, even an abusive parent. Servile fear is an unhealthy and unholy fear, which is radically different than the filial fear. Filial referring to the idea of family. This is the type of fear that a child has for a loving father and or mother. It's a fear that, it, that extends from a tremendous amount of respect, a tremendous amount of love and dependence upon, a recognized dependence upon one's parents who the child desperately wants to please. The child's fear not extending from a fear of punishment, though he or she recognizes the parent has the authority to justly bring just right judgment and punishment, but where this fear extends from is from a fear of displeasing the parent they so desperately love. They don't want to do that. And it's this kind of fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus even teaching us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, it's an understanding of God is in heaven and we are on 
earth. But it is also the understanding that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As it's a fear that is rooted in love for the one who so desperately and deeply loves us. And it's this kind of healthy fear of the Lord that is found at the heart of genuine worship. It's guarded healthily. A fear of God extending out of a great love and respect for and a complete dependence upon God. Meaning we love him and thus want all of our life to please him. We want our worship. We want our life to please him. And so I ask this morning, can this be said of you? That you want nothing more than for your life to be holy and pleasing unto the Lord. If so, we draw near to listen to his word. We don't speak rashly. We don't speak hastily. We don't make vows that we won't keep. We simply fear God and obey his commands because we so desperately desire to please the one we love. Not in obedience and attempt to earn his favor, but because his favor has already been so graciously extended to us. But friends, those who do not fear God, maybe this is you today. They prove themselves to be fools in the path of destruction. So I ask you this morning to consider which describes you today. Are you the wise person who fears God and is looking to keep his commands? Wanting to please him above all else? Or are you the fool who refuses to listen and obey the word of God? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we do give you praise because we know that you, oh God, are in heaven and we are on earth. And we rejoice in the fact that though we are sinners and you hate sin, in your great love you sent Christ to be our great high priest. And because of Christ, we know that you hear our prayers. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that our life, our worship, would be holy and pleasing to you. Help us to be better listeners. Help us to be more thoughtful with our words. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Oh, Lord, may we fear you. May we do so rightly. As a just and holy, gracious God. In whose name we pray. Amen.